Regina Marie Boss, Gina to those who knew her best, was a mother of three from Lincoln, Nebraska. On the evening of October 16th, 2000, she attended an open mic night at Dugan's Pub. At 1 a.m., she left the venue to go home. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. We all have plans. We all believe that we are going somewhere, either figuratively or literally. Given the nature of podcasting and in communication in the 21st century, you could be listening to this on a plane, in a car, on the train, on a cruise ship. You're all heading someplace. And you've all convinced yourselves that you're going to get there. I'm not here to scare you, but there's no guarantees. Probably a a recent example is the best one. I'm recording this December 1st, 2016. And a few days ago, a jet that was flying from Brazil to Colombia with a soccer team on it crashed. For the most inexplicable of reasons that it simply ran out of gas. 70-some people killed, and I'm guessing four, five, six were survivors. That is it. Well, all of those people on that jet were just like you. They had plans. Plans for the game, of course, probably to win. Plans after the game. Plans for next month. Plans for the next year. Plans for the rest of their lives. And for 70-some of those people... Those plans are not going to happen. Accidents happen. Likewise, in a more figurative sense, we all believe that we are headed somewhere regarding the goals that we want to reach in our lives. We want to get our college degree, our doctorate, want to move up in a company, we want to fall in love, we want to get married, we want to have children. All admirable, great goals. No guarantee that any of it will happen. The truth is, is although we see people dying around us, getting cancer around us, wanting to achieve goals and falling short, maybe you know somebody that's opened a business and they went into bankruptcy. The truth is lots of people are setting goals all the time and a lot of those plans Uh, Don't go the way that people think they're going to go. Yet we somehow think that we are different. Well, that's that person. That's my neighbor. That's my friend. That's the person down the street. That's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to be the one who is going to keel over from a heart attack in the mall and die. I'm too healthy for that. I got these things to do. It's amazing how we can kid ourselves regarding all of that. But no matter what faith you have, whether you believe in some afterlife or whatever else, and you know we don't get into that in this show, the one point that should bind all of us is the only guarantee in this life is this very second. Even as I do this show, I guess to put it in its most literal form, 
There's no guarantee that I'm going to even make it to the end of recording of this show. Things happen. I bring this up because these are the thoughts that have been going through my mind regarding the disappearance of Regina Marie Boss. This was a woman who had plans, and she had every right to have plans. Uh, She was very well liked. You're going to find out about that in the interview that I conducted for this show. She loved sharing her love of music with others. That's why she was at this open mic night at Dugan's Pub on October 16th, 2000. She had plans after that evening of music to go get her boyfriend and go back to her home to see her three children she loved so much. But that didn't happen. Somewhere, something went wrong. And I want you to remember that as you listen to this episode. Granted, yes, disappearances are rare. They're still way too common. You don't need to go to the NamUs database or charlieproject.org to know that there have been too many people over the years who have disappeared. Yet statistically, it's still rare. And you think, well, it can't happen to me, but there are other things that can happen to us that get in the way of our plans. So I ask you to cherish every second, every minute, every hour, every day, because there are several people out there that now don't have the opportunity to do that. And now the facts of the case. These are brought to you by my friend Megan Good and her site, charlieproject.org. Boss arrived at Dugan's Pub in Lincoln, Nebraska at 11 p.m. on October 16, 2000 for open mic night. Witnesses said she was in good spirits. She left at about 1 a.m. planning to pick up her boyfriend at his place, then head back home to be with her three children. Gina had her music and her beloved guitar with her. Gina's boyfriend tried paging her at 6.30 a.m. when she didn't arrive at his place. Her pager was discovered in her residence. Seemingly, Gina had not taken it with her the night before. The police were then called. Law enforcement found Gina's car where she had parked it the night before across the street from Dugan's. The car's trunk was slightly ajar and her guitar and music were inside the trunk. There was no evidence, DNA, blood, or any sign of violence inside or outside the car. It is not believed that Gina left on her own accord. I will get deeper into those facts and with even more additional facts with the guest for this show. But you should know that this case is not like a couple of the ones I most recently covered. There is no clear-cut suspect. Unlike, for example, the case of Andrea Bowman, unlike the case of Robin Abrams, and in fact, in Robin's case, there's probably more than one suspect, unfortunately. So you're going to have to come to your own conclusions on this, and I think that my guest for this episode is going to help you do this, and of course, I always ask all of you, the listeners, to help this family out. Go out there, try to study it. On your own time, if you find anything, you can let me know, you can let my guests know, you can let the police know, 
That's why we do this show. My guest for this episode is Janelle Rapp. She is the sister of Gina. Janelle is an accomplished musician. She has worked with many artists who I'm sure you heard of. But besides that, she has done some magnificent work in her own way helping the families of missing people. It's just there's one story that's particularly spectacular that I think that you're really going to love. So this is an interview where we talk about her sister's disappearance, and then we also talk about the ways that Janelle has used this disappearance to help others. It's a great interview. Before we get started, I want to remind you you can find this show on Podomatic and iTunes. I'd love for you to listen, share, and subscribe. You can find me on Twitter, Unfound Podcast. You can email me, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Please join all of us at the Unfound Discussion Group on Facebook. And I now give you my interview with Regina Marie Boss's sister, Janelle Rapp. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Of Gina Boss, Janelle Rapp. Janelle, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Ed. I so appreciate it, and I know the families of the missing that have a chance to hear this will definitely appreciate your work. Oh, thank you very much. Tell the listeners a little bit about your sister, you know, so that listeners can feel like they know her too. What it was like growing up, obviously you're a musician, she was a musician. Uh, How did that all happen? What was the family dynamic? Well, there are seven kids in our family. She's number three. And so kind of the middle child syndrome a little bit. Uh, She shared the middle spot with another sister. Um, She was the person that walked into a room and everybody knew she was there. Um, mm-hmm. She had a light about her. She uh, was extremely creative, the most creative person I've ever met, able to paint and draw and sculpt and wow. uh, create a dress, design dresses, design hair. Um, um, she could pretty much do anything where, you know, it came down to creating something with her hands. And then she was also a musician, and she sang really well, and she could harmonize, and she started to dabble in writing music as well. So um, she was uh, very stubborn, though, very stubborn, and uh, she just had to um, find a way to get what she wanted. In fact, when we were in college, um, we had gone up, actually, I think we were out of college. We went up to go pick up some of my things from Minneapolis, where I went to college. Mm-hmm. And um, she had gone there with me for one year because she wanted to go because she wanted to see the city and hang out. Well, it happened to be over Christmas 
break, and there was a lot of snow, and it ended up being a blizzard, so we got snowed in. Wow. And um, while we were there, she insisted on going to this specific Italian restaurant, and I said, there's no way we can get there. There's a blizzard. We can't go. She insisted, 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 insisted. She would not let go of it until I figured out a way to get us there. We went there. And she got something, and she she had her way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sur- well. You make it sound. I'm surprised the place was even open if the snow was that I bad. Wow. Was surprised. I was surprised as well. So. Wow. So music was part of your family. Do you did you have parents who were into music, or do you have other siblings who are also into music? Was uh, huh? we were all into music. My parents sang and played instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were growing up, my dad's family was very musical for generations. My grandfather was a violin teacher, and my grandmother played the piano. She was a closet piano player. She was very shy, but she played. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and then uh, we just all sang growing up. There were seven kids. So our idea of a vacation was driving into the country because we had enough gas to go into the country. We'd take a, a long drive in the country with all the kids. Singing, and we just—my mom would pick the songs, and we would just all sing and wow. harmonize, and that was—that was our little mini vacation. That sounds like the Partridge Family, almost. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So, um, you, you both of you went to college, and what did yeah. Gina? What did Gina have to do after that? What? what how did she? Where, what was her life path? Um, she did a lot of things. She was a hairdresser. She, uh, on the side, designed wigs and clothes for productions that were going on in Nebraska. She worked in doctor's offices and Kinko's at the very end. She was an assistant manager at Kinko's right before she disappeared. Oh, okay. And she had children? She had three three, had three children? Kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were th- what were their ages at the time that she disappeared? How old were they? Eleven, thirteen, and fifteen. Okay, so she went to school, and uh, she was a mother, but uh, she was divorced, right? Yes, Is that she was. Okay, and so she was back living in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes. And where were you at that time? Where, where, where were you? Did you see her a lot? Did you talk to her a lot? How close were you two? I didn't see her a lot. And we talked probably several times a year. Mm-hmm. I lived in the Los Angeles area, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Okay. And was she close with any of your other siblings? No, no offense to you, of course, but was she closer with maybe one? Do you have another sister, another brother that she was close to that she saw, saw more often? Well, um, I think we, it was all about the same for us. We were fed out, and in 2000, not everybody had cell phones, and right. cell phone right. packages weren't like they are today. So of course. There wasn't a lot of conversation unless you had the money, and she was a busy single mom, and I was a busy single mom. And, um, so when we could yeah. talk, we did. Uh, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, so we we come up to, of course, you know, unfortunately, 2000, October of 2000. When was the last time you talked to her before she disappeared? How long before that? And um, was there anything 
you know, any problems going on in her life that anybody knew about, that you knew about? The last time I talked to her is hard to pinpoint. I've tried to pinpoint that many times, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't come to me. I remember the last time I saw her. I just don't remember the date. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember her walking away from me. Mm. I remember watching her walk away from me. You know, it was like this moment encapsulated yeah. in my mind. And um, we were at, we had been at a restaurant eating, and... Um, she was kind of in the mood that day, and mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of talking that happened. My parents were there and a couple of my siblings. Okay. I don't know what was bothering her that day. but And you, just, and you never did find out what was bothering her? No, I didn't know what was no. bothering So maybe you talked to her like two weeks before she disappeared or something like that? The only reason I'm asking this, if the listeners want to know, is, you know, you do enough of these shows and you read enough cases, you... You hear about, you know, maybe women, they were having maybe problems with an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband and they had voiced right. something and then suddenly they're, you know, dis- you know, they're disappeared, you know. That's right. all that's the only reason I'm asking you those questions because I th- uh I think probably the listeners wonder about things like that. Right. I think it was it was longer than 2 weeks. Okay. You know, it was probably at least 6 months. Okay. Yeah. It okay. had been a while since I saw her and talked to her. Okay. So the day... She was th- very busy. It was hard to get a hold of her. Right. Being being a parent, her having a job, her being, you know, of course, being a musician. Uh, she did have a boyfriend, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, yeah, she, she sounds like a busy person, especially with three kids. Especially. Yes. Right. So the day that she... Uh, ended up disappearing. Nothing unusual about that. Was she a, um, I guess what you would call a, a local at, at Dugan's Pub? Did she go there often? Was she known there? She was definitely known there. Mm-hmm. She had been going there off and on for years. She even worked there at one time. So oh, okay. everybody did know her there. Yes. Okay. And th- so th- I'm guessing that this, and if the listeners don't know, she... Um, was there to be participate in an open mic night? I guess people just show up there with their instruments and you know get together and play. I guess that's what happens there. And she was a uh, she was there quite often. Like she said, she even worked there. And she seemingly was in a good mood, as far as you know. This is a common uh, occurrence for her to be here on that night. And she went out to her car. And she was never seen again. Um, do you remember finding out that she had disappeared? I mean, where were you? Uh, what was going on in your life at that time when you found out? Well, at that time, I was teaching at a performing arts school. And I had one of the students that went to my school needed a ride on that day. And I gave her a ride to school. And I remember mentioning my sister for some reason, Gina. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she just came to mind for some reason. So I mentioned her to the student. We were having a conversation and somehow she came to mind. Mm-hmm. And I had the school day and I went home and there was a message on my machine to call home quickly. And mm-hmm. um, so I called home and my brother answered the phone and he said that Gina was missing. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I remember feeling anger at her, you know, towards her, which yeah. sounds a little odd, but I just thought, what did she do? Why, why didn't she come home to her kids? That's not like her. Why wouldn't she do that? You know, I just thought mm-hmm. she was, she just went somewhere and didn't go home to her kids, even though that's not anything she had done before. But I guess that was easier to think that than yeah. to think that someone took her. So that was where I went. Right, right. So, so that was my first thought. And it, the reason, and I'm going to ask you this question. And I ask you that I'm going to preface it so you don't think it's a strange question. The last couple episodes that I've done of this show, one of the disappearances was with uh, Andrea Bowman, who was a, a young woman who disappeared, and then the last episode before this one that still has yet to come out as of this recording was the disappearance of Robert Abrams. And in both those cases, the people that I interviewed, automatically when they heard they heard this, they suspected a particular person. Okay, mm-hmm. this was not in your case. When you heard this, you actually thought that she might have just run off. You did not think that somebody actually did something harmful to her. Not my initial thought. No. Okay. Not my initial thought. Um, not that I had any reason to think that. Right. She would have run off because she had never done that before. Mm-hmm. I really do not think she would ever leave her kids. Right. Right. But, um, yeah. Right. But there was not somebody that you knew in her life automatically you would think, well, if, if Gina's not around, it's probably because of that person. That's not what you went, went through your head. No, I didn't think that. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And so the police start in investigating this, and I have to tell you that uh, you said something very interesting in our first conversation because this is our second our conversation about how you and your family dealt with the police. Please tell the listeners about that, about how you felt that you really needed to be nice to them. Okay. Well, you know, police departments are busy. Mm. Police departments have a lot of cases, and, you know, we don't know what's going on in their lives. But we need something from them. You know, when we need the police to help us, um, we are kind of at their mercy, the mercy of their schedule, the mercy of the time they have, the mercy of the other cases that they're juggling. Mm. And so I decided early on that I just really needed to be nice to them, to treat them well, and to respect their time, and to just talk very nice to them and calm. Even if I felt mm. like I was coming out of my skin, I needed to really be calm for the sake of my sister. Right. Right, because and and this is in contrast because I can tell you and and a lot of these people's um, complaints are are well warranted. You hear a lot of complaints about the police not taking disappearances seriously enough, and in your case, it's interesting to me that even to this day, you have a little bit of a different attitude toward what has gone on in your sister's case than others do, right? You, yes. Right. Okay, good. So what did the police do? They showed up, and what are some of the things that they discovered? What did they find out about the car? Well, the car was slightly open when they found it. It was across the street from the pub. Mm -hmm. Her guitar was inside, and her music was inside, which meant she walked across the street from the pub, Mm -hmm. 
put her guitar inside and her music inside, and then we don't know. Inside the tr- inside the trunk. Inside the trunk. Inside the trunk. Okay. Um, there was there wasn't any fingerprint evidence or blood evidence or anything um, strange um, or anything that we could uh, use to point to some other person being involved. Okay. So. And we didn't find her keys laying there or her purse or there wasn't anything spilled from the contents of her purse as if someone grabbed her and. Mm. You know, astonished her, and, and so things started falling out. Right. Um, there, there wasn't any of that. Right. And please tell the listeners that that, gu- that guitar of hers was very special to her. Uh, I think this is important, uh, an important fact. Um, she even named the guitar, didn't she? She did. Her guitar's name was Harley. And if she was going into a restaurant and her, she had her guitar with her, she would take it in with her. She would not leave her guitar in her car to um, to have to deal with the weather conditions outside. You know, the the wood on a guitar yeah. can can be harmed by different weather conditions, and she knew that, and so she would make sure that she kept it in moderate temperatures. And so. Had she gotten home that night, she would not leave the guitar in the car. She'd get out, go back to the trunk, and take it inside, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I guess you could infer from that that she was planning to go directly home, put the trunk – put the guitar in the trunk, and then something happened somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you think – Let's let's uh, say this. If she if she was putting the guitar in the trunk, and a friend of hers came by as she was leaving and said, "Hey, let's go." You know, I don't know what's open at one in the morning in Lincoln, Nebraska, but let's go down to this diner that's still open. Would she take the guitar with her, or would you think if she was she would take the guitar with her? Yes, she she definitely would have taken it with her. Okay. Okay, that's that's interesting to know. Okay, um, so the police also went to Dugan's pub, and Dugan's pub has video cameras. But what what happened there? What did you find out? We forgot to turn them on that night. So with these, uh, I'm sure you don't know exactly, but I'm going to guess these are video cameras that probably would show. For insurance reasons, maybe there's like a, a camera behind the register or something. Did you ever find out? Is that a common occurrence that they don't turn them on, or just bad luck? I believe it was bad luck. Just bad luck. It was bad wow. luck. That has to be frustrating, isn't it? It is, but I believe that they were able to pinpoint if. If not everybody, almost everyone that had been in the pub that night, you know, because they talked to the bartenders, they talked to people who were there, and mm. they would talk to who they remembered being there, and, and I believe they talked to nearly everybody who had been there that night. Although, if they just missed one person, it could be the one person who really needs to talk right. to. That's right. Yeah. That's true. You make a very good point there, Janelle. That's true. But I, I'm guessing since this – you. This is kind of a local's place, so it probably wouldn't be hard to track people down. It's not like a 
bar in Las Vegas where you have different clientele in there every week. So. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's local and everybody kind of knows everybody. What kind of area of town is that? What, yeah. What kind of area of town is that? It's a downtown area. It's about a block and a half from the police department, maybe six blocks from the University of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Maybe eight. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. it's not far from the university. It's it's not a a horrible area, mm-hmm. um, but it's a downtown area. Okay. If you were playing in that bar and your car was parked across the street, like like Gina's was, would you have any? Would you, as a woman being by yourself, have any concerns about walking to your car at night in Lincoln, Nebraska, in that area? Uh, that's a mixed bag question. Okay. Uh, I, based on where her car was, mm-hmm. it was literally across the street from the pub. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not like across the street and then in a parking lot. It was across the street. And so if I were her, knowing most of the people that were in the pub yeah. and walking out with everyone as they were walking out because she walked out at closing time. Right. I wouldn't have been concerned. No. At all. Okay. Um, but, you know, if there was some strange people there and I wasn't sure, I might ask somebody to walk me out. Okay. And what the police found is nobody saw anything that night. Nobody heard anything unusual the night that that Gina disappeared. And talking exactly. to all Exactly. Okay. Now... Gina also had a pager, and, and the plan, if once again, if the listeners don't know, that her plan was she was going to leave Dugan's Pub, go get her boyfriend at, I guess, one location, and then go back to where her children were at her house. Okay. Yeah. And the boyfriend, when she didn't get home, he called her, but he, I guess from my information – didn't call her to like 6.30 in the morning, only to find out that she didn't take her pager with her that night. Do you think that that's unusual? What you think, you, you know, you knew about your sister at the time? Anything unusual about that? Uh, I think that she may have forgotten her pager because there was a, there was a lot going on when she left the house mm-hmm. to go to the open mic night. She had been at Dugan's Pub earlier that evening. She was at a shower. One of her friends had a baby shower, I believe. Hmm. And um, when she was there is when her friend said, you got to come back for the open mic night. Uh-huh. She originally was not planning on that. Okay. So she went back home, and her boyfriend was at the house, or at her, yeah, at her duplex. Mm-hmm. And um, the kids were there, and her middle son had just gotten home from a trip to Disney World. Every few years, Grandma takes one of the grandchildren to Disney World. That's a treat that she, you know, each kid got to go just on their own and Mm. experience Disney World with Grandma. Wow. And so this was his turn. Okay. And um, so he just got back and he was showing her what he got for her and then 
it was her oldest son's birthday, and so she wasn't sure that she would go back there, but she made sure the kids were in bed and everything was handled, and, and then she left with her boyfriend mm-hmm. to go to the pub. Mm-hmm. On the way to the pub, um, they got into a disagreement, and he decided he wanted to go home, and he didn't want to go to the pub. So she dropped him off at home, which was about 12 blocks from the pub. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to the pub and, you know, performed and hung out with other musicians and played with other musicians. And, and like you said earlier, she mm-hmm. was very happy that night. Everyone that talked to the police said she was in extremely good mood. She was very happy. She was planning on recording with uh, another band that was there. She was going to do some backup for them. And so they were making plans for a future uh, times together mm-hmm. and um, she walked out happy yeah not angry at the world or sad or anything but she walked out happy and that yeah. she was going home to her kids right so. well now that you put it that way yes with a child coming back from disney world and everybody being there it's easy to understand if she would have uh you know forgotten her forgotten her pager how do you know that she and her boyfriend had the argument in the car? Is that something that he, I guess he must have said that afterwards? Yes, he, he told us. He told you, he told you, okay. Do you yes. know what the disagreement was about? I'm not, do you know what it was about? I'm not getting to get into family stuff here. Do you know what it was about? I honestly don't remember. I think I did know mm. at one time and I, I probably, probably have it written down somewhere, but mm. I don't. Remember. Okay, nothing that, if you don't remember, I'm going to just take for granted. It wasn't like Gina was like thinking about breaking up with him or anything like that. No, I, it wasn't I, anything okay. like that. Okay, all right, great. Uh, so did you ever try to call her? Did I mean, did you have her pager number? Do you remember back at the time? Um... You mean when she first disappeared? Or no, just, uh, no, in the year, however many years she had a pager. What I'm trying to, I'm just wondering if you ever called her and found well, out I that. I would call her on the phone, but I would never would have paged oh, her. Oh, no, I wouldn't paged her. Okay. Uh, yeah, not in those days. I just would have called her on her home phone. Okay. I don't believe she had a cell phone. I don't know if I had one at that time. Even I, I might have. Okay. No. Uh, was the boyfriend considered a suspect? Yes. And I think usually in these cases, if there's a boyfriend, an ex-husband, I think that's where they go first. That's true. In most cases, that is the problem. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They can find their answers there. Yeah, I think in our first conversation, we talked about, uh, how, you know, a majority of cases, if a woman does have violence committed against her, you know, rape or murder or disappearance, a lot of the times it is a, a, a guy that they know. So that's why I ask, did he, uh, did he ever have a lie detector test taken or anything like that? I believe that he did. And did he pass it? I believe that he did. Okay, you believe that he did. At any time, have you ever suspected that he uh, could be the person who made her disappear at any time? I did at first because um, 
that's just what you think when you don't know anything and you, you know, when he said they had an argument. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, oh, they had an argument. That's like right. Something. And, um, so, you know, when somebody disappears like this and you don't know anything, everyone's a suspect. Right. And I remember having a heightened sensitivity to the way people looked at me, the way they talked, all of those things as I was going around talking to those who had last seen her, as I was flyering the area. I was looking into people's eyes, wondering if there was a sign of, you know, guilt or why won't they look me in the eye? And, you know, some people wouldn't look me in the eye because they were sad or they, you know, some people felt guilty because they didn't hear anything. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't walk her to her car. But, of course, you know, I was very, uh, I was just glued to everything anybody would do. And, right. Uh, Hypersensitive. Yeah, hypersensitive. Hypersensitive. Um, but most of them, you know, just felt really bad. And I was taking that as guilt. <laughs> Not yeah. that I was blaming everyone I talked to, because I certainly wasn't. But I, I was just making a mental note everywhere yeah. I went. What did, uh, what did your parents think? Were they, were they, I mean, were they suspicious of him? Were they suspicious of anybody? Uh, obviously, she has three kids. Were they suspicious of like maybe an, an, an another ex-boyfriend, ex-husband? Once again, don't have to give any names. Just, I mean, any anybody? Right. Like? Yeah, my parents initially, I think they were so distraught. Yeah. That I don't know words came out of their mouths about who did it or who might have done it. I just remember my mother being extremely distraught and the father doing his best to take care of her. Yeah. So I, I don't recall anything like that initially or yeah. really at any time. Would you say that the boyfriend took her disappearance hard? I would say that they did initially, yes. The, no, the boyfriend did take it hard initially? I'm sure the parents, of course, took it hard. The boy, your boy, uh, her boyfriend, did, did she, did he take it hard? I believe that he did. He um, seemed extremely distraught and beside himself, and um, you know, of course, that seemed suspicious to me because everything was. You yeah, know, right. he should be upset, but at the same time. You know, I didn't really know this guy, so I didn't know his personality. I didn't know his personality type. He was a fairly new boyfriend. And so every little move he made, I was analyzing and wondering, okay, is this something? Is, mm-hmm. is um, this a sign that he did it or he knows something about it? Or, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I just think he was distraught. But 16 years later, you're pretty satisfied that he had nothing to do with it. I'm pretty satisfied. There's always, you know, we don't know where she's at, so there's always that question. Right. But I'm, of course. I'm pretty sure that he had nothing to do with it. Okay. The way you look at it, uh, Janelle, what do you think happened? What? How do you interpret interpret uh, what went on that night? If if you continue to think that the uh, the boyfriend didn't have anything to do with it. 
Uh, I know that we've talked about our ex-husband, and I, you know, you've not expressed any uh, inkling that you think he did it. How? Do you, what do you think happened that night? I think that she was putting her guitar in the trunk, mm-hmm. and that someone came up and said they wanted to talk to her. Somebody that she knows. And they said it was a brief conversation. So I believe she got in the car with them. Now, how the trunk was left open, I don't know. I, you know, the, mm. the clickers that we have for our cars, um, maybe she accidentally pressed the trunk when she got into that person's car or at some point, I don't really know. Right. Maybe she didn't close it all the way by accident. Um, but I just have a feeling she went with someone. And the reason I think that is because nobody heard any screaming and everybody was leaving the pub at the same time. So nobody saw anything strange or heard anything strange. Not that there were a ton of people at the pub. It wasn't like hundreds were walking out Mm -hmm. and might have seen it. But, you know, maybe 15, 20. You know, at closing time, sometimes it's a a small group. Yeah. And I believe it was a smaller group. But nobody heard anything. So I think the trunk was left open inadvertently. And that somebody she knew said, oh, I just want to talk to you for five minutes. So she maybe got in her car with them and then just never returned. Right. You know, I, and I think this problem being that that is your suspicion, that I, I think that goes back to what you were saying about how you're you're very hypersensitive, seeing everybody as being a suspect. Because even to this day, 16 years later, you continue to think that somebody who knew her did this. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Because I will be honest, and I think I told you this the first time we talked, and I want the listeners to know this: is that you know I learned about this case and I started reading it. That was not my first. Uh, You know, what I, my first inclination, my knee jerk reaction to this is that if you're going to say that, you know, of course, like you said before, you automatically think ex husband, husband, boyfriend. But if it's going to be somebody outside of that, I automatically think like a stranger. And I think, well, she put it in, somebody came up behind and attacked her. But you knowing your sister, you knowing the circumstances and everything, maybe even knowing the area a little bit. You continue to think that it was somebody who actually knew her, whereas me being kind of disconnected from it, I think that it was a strange, you know, a complete stranger that did this. I, I don't know. There's something interesting about that. Yeah. Well, I guess it's possible. Gina was a fighter and a scrapper, and you would have heard screaming and all kinds of things. I mean, unless they had some way to cover her mouth quickly and. Um, keep her from doing that. She was small, she was slight. She was uh, mm. five, six, and about 105 pounds. So she was tiny, but she could make noise and she would take and scream and scratch and whatever needed to be done to mm. get attention. And there were guys that were um, taking their equipment out of the back of Dugan's Pub, kind of alleyway, um, and they were taking it in and out. You know, I mean, they were loading up their cart, so they were walking in and out, and they would have heard something, I would think, 
I mean, unless they just happen to be inside when it happens. Yeah. Which is possible. Which yeah. is possible. It's possible nobody was there when it happened. And yeah. and your idea is correct. Yeah. You know, it certainly sounds to me like the way you're portraying it, I've never been to Lincoln, Nebraska, but it almost sounds to me like somebody was almost, you know, kind of, if it was a stranger, it might have been somebody lying in wait, but that would certainly, you know, you have to get the timing just right. So, uh, you know, you make, you have started to make me think that I, I agree with you, that, you know, it was somebody that she knew, who knew she was going to be there that night. And uh, you, you know, did you know? Leave the guitar there. I just want to talk to you a couple, for a couple minutes. Uh, you know, and something, you know, didn't go right. Um, do you think that she might have had another man in her life? I, I need. To, I, I'm sorry. I need to ask this, but could there have been somebody else that the boyfriend didn't know about? I don't think so. I know that she still talked to her ex-husband, mm -hmm. and they were still friends, but I don't believe she had another man. Okay. She seemed to be very happy with Mike, the guy that she was dating at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And was there anything within her lifestyle? Once again, I'm sorry that I have to ask these questions, but I, I'm trying to... Uh, the listeners, I want to help, so, that, so I, I need... Is there anything within her lifestyle that might have gotten her in trouble? You know, well, dr she, drugs or anything? I, I'm sorry. I need, I'm sorry that I have to ask this. I'm sorry. Right. I don't know of any drug addiction. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of that. Okay. Um, I do know that she was a single mom and she dated a lot. She was a right. beautiful woman and yeah, thought she was. wanted to date her. And yes. She wanted a date, so she did. So um, right. there were a lot of guys that dated her. So who knows? You know, right. they usually say it's some some former boyfriend or ex husband or right. somebody that they can point to. Yeah, I I agree with you. That yeah, you're right. It's it's hard to it's hard to narrow it down uh, in in a circumstance like this. Uh, how how since two thousand, you believe that the police have pretty much kept you in, informed, and I want you to, you know, the, and something you told me that was disgusting in our first conversation was I asked you since two thousand have has there been any leads? You've said thousands of leads. What can you tell the listeners about that because it's a little bit disgusting. <laughs> That there have been thousands of leads. Yeah. Well, a lot of the leads have been rumor leads. Yeah. And uh, they recycle themselves throughout the town. And then people that hear them think they're a new lead and they'll call it in, which in a way that's a good thing. Yeah. Because, you know, they're concerned citizens and they think it's a new lead, but it's really an old lead that has just cycled around the rumor mill. Um, all this really had to wear on your family, didn't it? Well, um, we didn't really take it all in. I learned early on to just um, not buy into anything that I was told. Mm -hmm. Because if I did, then I was an emotional wreck. You know, initially yeah. we would hear 
that she was hitchhiking on an interstate and a trucker picked her up. A trucker would call it in because we had flyers everywhere. We made sure truckers took them. We, if people were going on vacation, we asked them to take uh, flyers with them and put them wherever they go. And so we had flyers all over the United States looking for Gina. Mm. And um, so we would get calls from everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I would get upset. i go, why is she out there hitchhiking? If that's really her, why is she doing this? And, and it was not her. It was never her. It was someone who looked like her. And so from being angry at her to being distraught over, you know, rumors and, you know, just different ways that she may have been killed, I just finally said, no, I am not going to buy into any of this until I know for sure I'm just not going to listen. I will take note. I, I will, you know, take note just in case it's a piece of the puzzle, but I'm definitely not going to buy into it emotionally or mentally. And so we all have just kind of done that, and, and uh, it makes it a lot easier than to just discuss those things. And we don't announce them, and we don't talk about them. Um, we just, it's just a thing. You had told me, if I can ask this, but there was also the aspect of guys who were already in prison coming up with leads. Yes. Tell tell the listeners about that, if you could. Well, you know, when you're in prison, it's lonely and sad, and you don't get to get out much. So, you know, you hear about a case that the police can't solve, and... Um, you and your buddies talk about it, and, you know, I'm just creating this scenario, mm-hmm. so I don't know yeah. if it's the way yeah. they did it, but yeah. Yeah. you think, well, you know, hey, I've got a tip on that, so you call um, whoever you need to call to make sure that the police find out that you have a tip, and the police come and interview you, you get a chance to be out of yourself for a while, you get a chance to be out, and if you say you can lead them to where her body is, then you can be out for a day, you know? And um, yeah, you know, so go- this happened several times, and there there was no fruit to that. <laughs> Not one of these leads ever went anywhere. They were just no. They were just trying to buy some time to be out, or just to have a conversation, or to look like you know. Yeah. They're the big cheese for the the case, or even to get their sentence light lightened. That that was a motivation. Yeah. As well, you know, if I give you this information, will you get me out earlier, or will you drop this part of my case? Or right, and it and you can look at it. It's like it's like a win-win situation for them because even if they give them this tip and it's a total lie, they can always say, "Well, that's just what I heard." Sorry, that's just what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that to use a word I already used before. It's disgusting. I, I, I'm going to tell you, Janelle, I can't imagine going through something like that for you and your other siblings and Gina's kids and your parents. I know what you've told me about uh, not trying to ride the ro- emotional roller coaster, but it has to be tough not doing that. Well, you'd have to ride the emotional roller coaster for a while yeah. to find out that it's imperative that you stop or yes. it's just not good for your health. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that other families do that, but I just know that I needed to do that. Yeah. And um, that we have, as a family, tried not to ride that roller coaster. Right. 
I'm going to ask you one more uh, question about the case, and then I want to talk about what you've personally been doing with your music uh, to raise awareness. Uh, okay. Since 2000, have the police, to your knowledge, ever gone back and looked at all those people who were in Gina's life, whether at Dugan's Pump or elsewhere, since then? And the reason I ask this is it may, very well may be that they looked into people in 2000, 2001, and everybody seemed innocent. But if you go back now, maybe you might find out that one or two of these guys ha, you know, has had a sexual assault since then or this or has been in and out of pres, a prison that you know, might cause the police to look at some of these people again. Do you, do you know if they've done that or not? I know that I've heard of other cases where they've done that, but – in your case, in your sister's case, do you know if that happened or not? I believe they have done that for several of the people that they have talked to, mm-hmm. the potential suspects. Mm-hmm. And um, what their findings are, I don't know, but okay. um, I believe that they have done that. I don't know that they've done that for everybody that they talked to, but um, for some of the more prime suspects, I guess. Okay. Okay. Well, I uh, I can tell you that I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy. I, I'm glad I'm hearing a case finally where uh, a family member is pleased with what they think uh, the police are doing because I can tell you in most of the cases that people that I interview, Janelle, they're usually not too happy. So I'm glad that the Lincoln uh, police are are um, helping you out, and I, I I'm glad you think that they're doing uh, a good job. What did you do, and what did, what do you continue to do personally regarding your sister's disappearance? Tell us about um, Gina for Missing Persons Foundation, and what else you've done. Okay. Well, I had been, you know, feverishly looking for my sister for the first six months, and for that first six months, I was on that emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, was 24-7. I was working my job and taking care of my kids, but I was just, quite frankly, obsessed with finding her. And the biggest reason that I was so obsessed, not just because she was my sister, but it was because of her children. I felt like I really needed to find their mother for them. Yeah. When I saw their faces when she first disappeared, I was... It just hooked me. And um, so for six months, I did whatever I could. I called whoever I could. I knocked on every door I could. I did everything I could possibly do. And then I just got depressed because I didn't know what else to do. I had no other stone to turn that I knew I could turn. Mm. And it was probably around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I got depressed. And I just, I, I was so depressed, I fell asleep. So I went to bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night about 12 hours later, about mm-hmm. two, 2, 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I sat up in bed with the thought, just do what you already do. Well, what I already did at that time is I was a traveling musician. I was a touring artist. I created albums, and I did tours, and I got media. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? I know how to get media. I know how to do that. Why don't I put together events and get media for the families of the missing? 
I can't find my own sister, but I know how to get media. I can't find their siblings. I can't find their children. I can't find their aunts and uncles, but I can get media for them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was my, that was the thing that would make me feel better about not finding my sister. And I would also be able to help others. So I asked my friends from LA to New York City to profile a missing person. And I had 13 different events planned. And we created a CD that had the faces of 12 different missing people on it. The families had come to us and asked us to profile them. Mm-hmm. We raised money to, to put that CD out. We wanted to give it away. We, we didn't want people to have to pay for it. We wanted them all out. So we made a 1,000 of them. Wow. We asked people to look, listen, and pass it on at these events. And they were in the month of October and early November, marking Gina's disappearance date, which was October 17th, and her birthday, which is November 4th. So we had like a three-week period where we had all these events from LA to New York City. We mailed out, we shipped out, I should say. We shipped out those CDs to all the artists. Some of the events had 50 people, some had 20, some had mm-hmm. 100, you know, just depended. Yeah. And um, we asked people to look, listen, and pass them on. And our last event was in New York City. And um, the girl there, I believe her name was Sarah. Uh, I haven't been in touch with her for a while, but I'm pretty sure it was Sarah. And uh, she asked people to look, listen, and pass it on. And they did that. And three days after the event, a young man that was missing from Indiana was handed that CD. Wow. And he knew, he knew that his family loved him and they would take him back. And he, the interesting thing about him is he had been gone for about seven months. He did not pick his car. He did not pick up his paychecks from work. He, had, he was in high school, but he had two jobs. Uh-huh. And he did not, he left without picking up his paycheck. So his mother felt he was dead, and he was actually the last person that we put on the CD. We had 12 missing people on the CD. And I missed this part, so I'm backtracking. Yeah. We had 12 missing people on the CD, and his mother found out about what we were doing, and she called me from Indiana, and she said, Janelle, I heard about what you're doing. Can you put my son on your CD? Can you make him part of your program? And so I said, sure. Well, we rearranged the artwork, and we fit him in there. And he was the one that was found. He was the one. And... Um, I, you know, I knew I could get media. I knew that I could do that because I knew how to do that locally. But I didn't think anyone could be found. So when someone was found, yeah, I went, "Wow, I've got to do this. Yeah. I have this. I have to do this." And so we became a nonprofit. Um, those initial concerts were called Gina Concerts, mm-hmm. and we decided to call the nonprofit uh, Gina for Missing Persons Foundation. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have had concerts ever since, mostly in the fall, but we have them throughout the year. We do something that's called the Squeaky Wheel Tour. At one point, we decided we wanted to make that's more a great noise. Name. We that's a great name. We wanted to create name. a name that would make more noise, so we called it the Squeaky Wheel Tour for the Missing. Yes. And we do it around that time frame in October and November. And we ask artists around the world. We don't have to be their person. We ask them around the world to profile missing people in their local area. We connect them with the missing people, sometimes with the families uh, in the local area, and we ask them to 
profile missing people at their events, ask people to take flyers. Now, these days, we ask people to take pictures on their cell phones and yeah. share it with social media. So it gets out a lot farther than those flyers ever did. So we have more opportunity to find these people than we ever did before because of social media. And uh, we've been in 14 different countries with our events. Wow. We've profiled thousands of missing people. And um, we can't always pinpoint exactly how they were found, but we know that when we're doing these events, more people are found that are on our website than any other time of the year. That's, a, that's an amazing story, Janelle. Just you from 2 o'clock in the morning, six months after your sister disappeared, to what it has become. Uh, it's uh, And I know you did it. It's it's like in a way that you did it to take your mind off your sister, but then by doing it, she's like always on your mind. That's that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a paradox. I'm serious. You know, you felt like you needed to do something because your mind was r- racing so much because of this. And then you came up with this and, and you, you turned it into something positive. It's an amazing story. It's, it's that's uh, what an, what an accomplishment, and I know you're going to continue to continue to do this. Uh, where can people, my listeners, find you and all this? Obviously, this great work you've done for the last 16 years. Where can they find you online or wherever else, Facebook or wherever, uh, if they want to donate, if they want to get involved? Where, where where can they find this info? Info. They can go to four one one. G-I-N-A dot org. That's 411-G-I-N-A dot org. Okay. And are you on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any any of those things too? We're on Facebook for Gina for Missing Persons or 411-G-I-N-A, both of them. We're on Facebook for the Squeaky Wheel Tour. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Facebook too, Janelle Rapp. Okay. And so... Did have you just completed a, a this the series for this year, or what's what's the plans for 2017 for what you're doing? 2017, we haven't started planning exactly yet. Uh, the Squeaky Wheel Tour during election years, it's a lot harder to do what we do because media is right. fixated on the election. Right. Um, True. We we don't do as much during those years. And we try to start a little earlier. So we started in September this year, and we ended in October. Okay. Um, yeah. We had several events, but not what we normally are able to do. Okay. So but- 2017, we're working on the plans for that. We would love to be on the road. Um, when we are on the road um, and meeting up with the artists around the country, we're able to get a lot more media than when we aren't on the road, but it takes a lot of money to be able to do that, um, yeah. to send us on the road. We've taken a tour bus on the road, and that's our favorite way of doing it. We get the most media. We get the most attention for the missing because we line that tour bus with the faces of the missing. And so all around the country, wherever we go, people are able to see those faces and wonder what we're doing. and. We have our website on the side, and people can take pictures. In fact, when we were in Nashville with the tour bus, mm. we were at a stoplight, and people got out of their cars and went around our bus taking pictures. Wow. It was amazing. But 
that what do you think the i mean the way gina knew you would she would she have thought that you were capable of doing this or do you think that this is something that that you always had in you or did you just find some strength with within you uh given what you know happened to your sister what would she be saying about are you your younger sister or older sister of gina i don't think i ever asked you that i'm a i'm a year older than in, okay what would she be saying about her big sister that's a hard question you're making me. <laughs> okay, put you too much on the spot. Right I'm just so impressed. I'm just so impressed, you know. I didn't know this. I have to tell you that obviously I've been to your website and I read a lot about you and everything, but these stories about this, the, 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 the son seeing it, getting a CD with his own face on it and the people walking around the bus, those are awesome stories. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty incredible. Um, the families of the missing, uh, my heart is really with them knowing what they go through on a regular basis. And when we first, in one city, I should say, in one city when we first pulled up, there were a lot of families of the missing there. When we pulled up with that bus, yeah, with their loved one on the side of yeah. our bus, yeah. The looks on their faces and the gratitude, it was like, you know, uh, I can't even explain it. I can't, I can't, there are no words to explain how it made me feel. Right. They felt like someone cared about them. Someone they don't even know is coming to love and care and uh, for them personally and to make a difference for their family. Right. I'm going to give out this website again for everyone. 411gina.org 411gina.org is where you can find Janelle and what she continues to do to raise awareness for the disappearance of her sister Gina along with all of the other people in the United States who have gone missing. Uh, Janelle, thank you for joining me on, on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much, Ed. I so appreciate it. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Janelle Rapp, sister of Regina Marie Boss. You know, it's kind of a, a paradox for me doing this show because on one hand, I have enjoyed getting to know these people who have been on my show. I am friends with them on Facebook. I talk to quite a few of them quite often uh, about things that sometimes aren't even associated with uh, a missing persons case or anything like that. It's a paradox that on one hand, I'm happy to have these new people in my life. But then on the other hand, I'm sorry that I've had to get to know them the way I have. Because the reason I know them is because of a tragedy uh, that has happened in their life. That's the way I feel about this episode as well. I've enjoyed getting to know Janelle Rapp and talking to her, the conversation that we had beforehand and then this interview. On the other hand, I just wish her sister Regina was still around. They were still they've been they had been able to talk to each other and get together with it for family occasions, Thanksgiving and Christmas, all of that for the last 16 years and me not know Janelle at all. I know that's a weird way to think about it, but I think that makes sense. I hate 
every instance of what has happened to these families, all of these people that I've talked to so far. I wish they were all in different situations with their loved ones being in their lives. Don't ever uh, get any, any other idea about this show. So when I say that I've enjoyed an interview, the truth is I wish I didn't have to do any of these interviews at all. I wish there were no disappearances in the world, but there are. That's just the way uh, it is. Um, in talking to Janelle afterwards, she wanted me to point out something, and she had, toward the end of the interview, she talked about how she got into doing publicity for the these events that she put together, and she wanted me to tell all of you that it's you know a, a sorry state of media in the 21st century. I guess those are my words, but trying to get attention for her sister's disappearance, but then as soon as you attach that disappearance onto a concert or there's some sort of scandal around it, it's amazing how then the media comes calling. But if it's just a news story, and it's, of course it's notable to the family that the media, they just couldn't be less interested. Maybe they'll do something about it once, and then that'll be it. But you add a little scandal into it, or you attach it to some sort of concert, then it's amazing how the media comes out of the woodwork. Um, she wanted me to mention that, and I agree with her. I, I think that uh, media in this country does not give enough attention to these disappearances. In fact, I would put the media in the, in the same boat that I put a lot of police departments. Not necessarily the Lincoln, Nebraska de Police Department, because... Janelle and her family seem perfectly happy with the job they've done over the last 16 years, and I'm ecstatic about that. But as you know, uh, we've had a lot of cases on this show where the police work has been pretty shoddy. And frankly, on top of that, the media and what they've done over the years regarding uh, many of these cases, their work has been pretty lackluster as well. So I agree with Janelle and how it seems that the only way you can get attention if there's some controversy or something like that. Regarding the actual case and the interview, uh, there were a few points uh, that I'd like to mention that caught my ear. Before interviewing Janelle, I did not realize that Gina had been to Dugan's earlier in the day for a baby shower. I don't know if that's significant or not, but I didn't know that until the interview. We not, never came up in the prior conversation that I had with Janelle. That was the first time you heard it during the interview was the first time I interviewed it, heard it when I interviewed her. And, you know, I, I got to thinking, did, could somebody have seen her earlier in the day, possibly somebody downtown, and then she ends up there again that night? What also sticks out to me about that shower at Dugan's earlier in the day was that it sounds like Gina was not planning to go to Mike Knight that night, and it was somebody there who convinced her to come back, and that's exactly what she did. So it was, although she had been to that open mic night before, that particular night she wasn't planning to be there, and then that was the night that she disappeared. Coincidence? I don't know. It that kind of it really does kind of rule out how many people would have known she was going to be there that night. 
It wasn't like she'd have been tell- she was telling everybody days before that that she was going to be there and then somebody who had bad intentions found out and said, hey, I can run into her there. This was seemingly just a couple hours before she showed up at Dugan's for open mic night is when she decided she was going to be there. Might be a noteworthy point. The pager uh, information, the reason that she forgot her pager, that's one of those facts where, see, if you don't do the interview, like I did with Janelle, if you just read that somewhere, it sounds suspicious. But then once you talk to somebody who knew the disappeared person very well, and you find out that, well, one of her children had just come back from Disney World, and she was rushing to get out the door, and of course the child wanted to talk all about Disney World and everything. You, in that context, you can understand maybe that she thought she had it with her, and maybe she didn't even figure out she left it at home until she was halfway to Dugan's and then said, the heck with it. Just don't know. People are forgetting their phones and other items all the time, especially if you're a parent and you're juggling like 20 different things. So it's a very uh, prime example of the way something reads, like if you find it, find the, the information on the internet, and then getting deeper into it in the interview like I did, which you're not going to get that uh, a lot of other places. That's something that I... Uh, thought was interesting. The pager info, once again, seemed interesting just reading it, but then once you find out about it, uh, it goes down my list because here what I was thinking is maybe she left the pager on purpose. I'm just going to admit that. And because what I think about when somebody leaves their phone in 2016, when somebody shuts their phone off, or they conveniently leave it behind or leave it at home. That often tells me that that person doesn't want to be contacted. Maybe you know a guy who's married and he's cheating on his wife. What's he do? He shuts off his phone, leaves it at home, leaves it in the car. That's what goes through my mind in 2016. Back then, you find out with pagers... It seems to me, I I perfectly believe that she did leave it uh, behind by accident. What also struck me, and I think I expressed that in their interview, is that in reading the case before I talked to Janelle, that my instinct was that it was a stranger who came up behind Gina and grabbed her and pulled her into a car It's interesting to me that Janelle thought something different. She bases it upon, which I think is a good place to start, is statistics. The statistics are that if a woman encounters violence in her life, it's usually by a man that she knows. That wasn't – I know that statistic as well, and that's not where automatically – my mind went. But if that's what Janelle continues to think 16 years later, then I have no choice to believe her. It doesn't sound to me like she has any idea specifically who could have done that. And we talked about the boyfriend uh, a little bit, and she dismissed the idea that pretty much, not 100%. I mean, until you know what happened, I guess you can't dismiss anybody. Um. 
doesn't sound like he is very high on her list, and, and it seems like in Janelle's case, virtually nobody's on her list. However, I was thinking that it was just a stranger who might have seen Jean in the bar singing, maybe came a little fatuated, saw her walking out to the car, followed her, and you know something uh, bad happened. But I will admit that I continue to be at least a little surprised by Janelle's belief that it was somebody who knew Gina that did this. Uh, of course, we talked a little bit about paranoia. Janelle brought it up during the interview, how for a while afterwards she was suspicious of everybody. Given that mind frame, thinking that it was somebody who knew Gina, then I, I totally understand uh, that mindset. There was something in, also in the interview that was kind of a non sequitur that I think that I need to explain. That I used the word disgusting. Tell me about the something that it was disgusting. And it took a while for us to get to that part because the way Janelle answered it, she misunderstood, I think, what I was asking. And that's no big deal. I thought it was a great interview. I, I thought that, uh, uh, you know, um, I enjoyed talking to her. But what I was meaning by disgusting was the part on how there will be prisoners in jail in Nebraska who will lie about a case saying they know something just to get out of jail for a day, just to be you know, shipped down to the police department so police can interview them. I can't imagine what that's like for a family. There is no amount of understanding – in my own personal life that could make me comprehend what families have to go through in something like that. These guys, I'm going to guess mainly guys who do this are evil. I don't know why they're in jail, whether it's murder, rape, robbery, a car theft, but if that's what they're doing, they're lying just to get a little like a vacation for a day and go ride around in a car and say, oh, yeah, some my former cellmate told me that he had something to do with Gina Marie Boss's disappearance. And that I just can't imagine that. And that's what I meant by disgusting, because that was a point that Janelle had made in our prior conversation before we did the interview. And I also have to admit that it was nice for a change, given that in my last show I talked about cops not doing their job and good cops not turning bad cops in, that this show I can talk about a family that is pleased with the work that the police have done. Now, I preface that with... What went on in the prior case I covered with Robin Abrams, that that family also thought the police were doing a good job for over 20 years before they discovered that there was a lot of hijinks, a lot of distortions, a lot of withholding of material, a lot of lying that uh, Jody Walsh and her family uh, found out that it took a private investigator to figure out all of this stuff, but it was 22 years later. I am hoping that is not happening in this case, and that does not happen, where Regina Marie Boss's family eventually finds out that the Lincoln, Nebraska Police Department, on the surface it looked like they were doing a good job, but behind the scenes 
maybe they aren't. I hope that's not the case. I hope that they continue to be pleased, the family continues to be pleased, and I hope one of these days the disappearance of Regina Marie Boss can be resolved and that the Lincoln, Nebraska Police Department can be credited for doing that because of the great work that they did all of these years. I really pray that that is the case. But like every other episode that I've done so far, I am going to leave the rest of the discussion up to you. I've had Janelle on the show. You've listened to her. You've listened to me. Maybe you didn't even know about this disappearance before. I hope you go out there and research it for yourself. Maybe you will find something that I wasn't able to find. Maybe you will find something that Janelle and her family haven't noticed. Maybe you'll find even something that the police don't know about. I believe that's always possible given that so much information in the 21st century is right at the tips of our fingers. And as you're doing this, I hope you remember what I started this show off with. That we must cherish each day because nothing is guaranteed. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Thank you.